0: Talk is
1: Jericho, baby Talk is Jericho
2: Talk is Jericho, mama Talk is me right, welcome to Talk is Jericho It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll And Duff McKagan, got you covered Every week, each week, with the joke of the week
0: Hello, Chris Jericho, it's Duff McKagan calling me I'm just about to take off on my uh, Grand Malaysian, Asian, uh, African tour uh thinking of taking off, you know, I think about my family these days. And uh, I remember my grandpa's uh, last words, Chris Jericho, my grandpa's last words were uh, uh, very well, I remember them. They were something like this. Quit shaking that ladder, you little shit. Okay, thank you very much. Goodbye.
2: <laughs> that was actually pretty good. I like that one. Uh, thanks, as always, to Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Duff McKagan for kicking off the weekend with a laugh. He hasn't let us down yet. Over a year, every Friday, delivering a joke, no matter where he is around the world. I think he's in Jakarta now or something like that. Always delivering, always closing. Uh, Someone else you can always count on to be delivering and closing is the legendary, amazing uh, bass player, great guy, my good friend Rudy Sarzo. I mean, Rudy has played with everybody if you're talking about heavy metal and rock and roll. Uh, He played in the original Quiet Riot. Then he went to Ozzy Osbourne's solo band with the late, great Randy Rhodes. Then he returned to Quiet Riot for the Metal Health record. Then he played in White Snake for the 1987 record. Then he played with Dio, Ronnie James Dio. He played with Ingve Malmsteen. He's playing now. With, he was in the, uh, the Blue Oyster Cult. Uh, he's playing now with the Guess Who. He's everywhere. He also helped Beatles drummer Ringo Starr move uh, from one house to another. Great story there. These days, he's playing in the Guess Who, like I said. They're on the road. They're always touring. Their tour starts November 11th in Miami, Florida. Get your tickets at theguesswho.com. Great Canadian band, great Winnipeg band. Rudy's now an honorary Winnipegger. Uh, great, great guy, though. Rudy's also got his own podcast. It's called The Dash. He talks to all type of interesting musicians about their life's journey and music. He's had Lexi Fox from Steel Panther, Frankie Benali from Quiet Riot, so many great shows go give it a listen and subscribe at apple Podcasts. leave him a five star rating and review while you're there do the same thing for talk is jericho and uh, sit back and relax and hear some great rock and roll stories from the legendary rudy sarzo right here on talk is jericho so i feel like uh, we're we're fancy pants now we're here in the studio in westwood one with uh, me and rudy sarzo and you've done this show before with frankie
3: that's right. But it's the Your fir- show. My yes.
2: show, yeah. Yes. But it's the first time you and me were together, uh, just you and me. And I'm excited about this because I've been waiting for a long time to talk to you, man.
3: Yeah, I'm very excited about it, since, especially since I, um, I'm an honorary Canadian now, since I'm a member of the Guess Who.
2: That's so random. <laughs> That's one thing I love about your career, and I want to talk about all of it. You've played with so many bands, but how did you end up in the Guess Who?
3: Uh, okay, it's a really <laughs> a roundabout way. Uh, actually, it started uh, The path towards me joining what uh the guess who started like maybe four years ago uh-huh. I was touring with the Jeff Tate version of Reich. right and they bring in Sass Jordan mm-hmm. to perform the part of Mary because we were performing the whole operation mind crime right right like, you know so I have known Sass from years before, but never really got, you know, once you're in the same tour bus, you really get to know a person, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, she's such an incredible talent and also an incredible person too, mm-hmm. you know, and it just so happens that her husband, Derek Sharp, is the lead singer, has been the lead singer with the Guess Who for like over 10, 12 years. Okay. You know, so it came a point that they were looking for a bass player and this happened like maybe a year and a half ago. And um, they call me up, mm-hmm. you know. sass so said, "Hey, to Derek, why don't you call Rudy?" And then they call me up, and I I've been a fan of the Guess Who since you know since I was a kid, right? You know, music on the radio. It's my as a matter of fact, when we play on stage, all these songs, they bring up memories of crazy girlfriends that I had in <laughs> high school. You know? So, people, you know, like the guys of the band say, "Hey, what were you laughing during the science?" It's because I just... well, Why were you
2: laughing during laughing? <laughs> That's right. <laughs>
3: because it reminds me of a crazy girlfriend that I had when, when the song came out, you know. And uh so yeah, I have been I am um, the Jim Cale the, the founding member basis of the band. Mm-hmm. He's uh, he's retired from the road life mm-hmm. and uh, he passed me the torch. We actually they were doing a show in las vegas so he brings me up on stage and he says this uh, rudy sarge is going to be taking over my spot from from now on so mm-hmm. i did one song got off the stage and he finished the show and that
2: was it that was it so is that was that the last original member of the no
3: no no gary peterson the drummer
2: is he still drumming Oh god yeah okay gotcha right
3: yeah and you know besides playing with choir right with frankie Benali this is the other Band that I've actually get to play with an original drummer, and mm. that makes such a difference because it's is you're actually locking into what the original feel and rhythm intent hmm. foundation of the song is all about. Right, right, right. You know, it's not an interpretation, watered down from like you know five generations of different percussionists coming into the group. You know, if, especially if you're playing with a classic rock lineup mm-hmm. you know and some you know a band that's been around since you know 60s or 70s or whatever it's you know it's very hard to find all the original components mm-hmm. you know in the group and uh, this really gives me an opportunity to to get the sense of, of the real deal
2: it's so interesting too because there's always people that talk about you know, and most people don't even know. You go play in front of crowds, they would think, oh, it's the Guess Who? And obviously Burton Cummings isn't in the band. But the other guys, people don't care. They just want to hear the songs. And to me, it's like when you talk about the purists who go, well, there's no Burton, there's no Randy Bachman. I'd rather have a band playing those songs and have the Guess Who still in the world than not doing those songs at all.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes, I completely agree with you. And even though every single founding member of the group is still with us, mm-hmm. you know, somebody mentioned to me... Uh, about a week ago something that really makes and en- encapsulates what is going to be occurring
4: mm-hmm.
3: in the music industry as 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 time goes on and people leave us mm-hmm. behind you know and it's the music will keep the dead alive
2: mm. right 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 like I was yeah. even thinking about that with AC DC now now that Malcolm's passed away and Brian is retired even Axel and Angus, it's still ACDC. You still want to go to the show, and like you said, that music does take you back to the crazy girlfriends in high school and all these other great memories that you have for your entire life.
3: Yeah, but you know, this is great because not only are you a superstar in wrestling, you're a rock star. Mm. So I can, you know, talk to you and relate that, to it. I can relate to it. Yeah, uh, as a band member, you know, you have your band, and whether it's you or the guys in the band. You know, we have responsibilities to keep what we have created mm-hmm. going alive, whether a member leaves the group or he passes on. Mm. You know, we're giving that responsibility. You know, I wish I would have understood that over 35 years ago when, when Randy Rhodes passed, because I would have not left Ozzy. Hmm. But I didn't know how to deal with it.
2: You, you, couldn't, you couldn't play an Ozzy without Randy on no. stage with you?
3: No, it was incredibly painful. Mm -hmm. Now, anytime that I have an opportunity, like, you know, we do these Randy Rhodes tributes and uh, it gives me an opportunity to not only celebrate his memory, but continue on the responsibility that we that played the music, that we were his friends, his bandmates Mm -hmm. to carry the torch on behalf of his compositions, his musicianship and his friendship.
2: You know, it's it's interesting. Sting said this when the police got back together. He said, like, the music doesn't belong to us, the band, anymore. It belongs to the people. And it's our responsibility to continue to play those songs for those reasons that you just said. Absolutely. Did you... I mean, obviously, you never know this at the time because you're a young kid in your 20s. And for you, obviously, you've told the story many times about Randy passing away in the car in the uh, plane crash. Mm -hmm. Did you know when you were playing with Randy that he was one of those guys, like like an Eddie Van Halen, that 30 years from now would still be critically acclaimed? Or was it just another day at work, getting on stage and playing with your friend?
3: Well, I mean, it's very hard, you know, when you're having such a a significant moment on stage to think beyond that moment because you Mm want to relish that. You don't want to think about yesterday. You don't want to think about the future. You want to think about what's going on now. And I knew at the moment, every single night that we were playing, that it was going to be something that people would still be talking about years to come. Mm -hmm. That I knew, but it wasn't something that I was living in. That wasn't what I was enjoying about the moment. I was enjoying the the energy the now mm-hmm. the now and now we're playing now we're on stage and and it's you know ozzy and tommy aldridge and then later on don airy and of course randy and there's all these great songs and look at the crowd it's grown from last year when we started with the blizzard of oz and you know to like sometimes half full and then the word of mouth started you know this is before mtv you know so it was all word of mouth and and people are just like not only are they loving it they're like they can't believe what what they're actually witnessing Mm -hmm. It's something so different from anything else out there you know and yes that was what what i was breathing in Mm -hmm. as i was performing on stage
2: and it was a great rock and roll band too oh my god Little chemistry
3: every single night was the uh super bowl
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) tell me a couple stories from reading your book there's some great stories in there when when you guys were putting together the stage show Ozzy's uh, stage show at this point in time and trying to do a couple of production gimmicks and some of the problems that happened during yeah that time. you know
3: it, it wasn't as much as a gimmick as it was about again you know it, okay it's a great band so if a great band needs a great production to match it mm-hmm. and give that to the audience and how different can we be and when I say that, this is I'm I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of Sharon mm-hmm, <laughs> because mm-hmm. that's all what's going through her head. <laughs> right. You know how can we take this to the next level to a place that nobody else has been to? Because you know we had the music to back it up. Right. It wasn't all about right you know, that, that. So at at the beginning, you know, it became kind of like a challenge to Randy because you know he walks on you know on a first day of pre-production for the. Diary of a Madman tour, and we have the castle set up, and it's like nobody's ever seen anything like that. We have a freaking castle on stage. I mean, like a real life size. And castle. if you
2: can see some of the video from this, it is a great looking stage. Our castle, yeah, with the yeah. drums kind of up high.
3: Yes, yes. Well, it, it was actually castle stairs leading to this platform where a throne would appear you know when, when the kabuki mm-hmm. curtains will fall down and, right and just thing appears and then there was a magician that who, that created that effect <laughs> where you know you have an empty throne and then also in sudden, poof there's ozzy there yeah. you know <laughs> and it was like there had never been anything like that mm-hmm. you know and and then we start playing and it's like holy crap it was so much sensory
2: Overload, mm, right?
3: You know, right. happening that it, I mean, people still talk about it. You know, thirty-five years later, and it was yeah. And to be on on stage with that, it was like, it was like the most amazing roller coaster ride you could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. Right? You just got to do hang on. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the kabuki ca- curtain came down every night the way it was supposed well, to,
3: except for the first night. Uh, somebody, uh, you know, a, a, for those who are listening who are not aware of what a kabuki curtain is, it's a curtain that doesn't draw. Mm-hmm. it just drops
2: mm-hmm. at the beginning you know, of the show you'll see it just drop
3: it just drops. kiss and
2: uses it motley crew uses it yeah, yeah
3: yeah and and it's like the quickest way for it for a curtain to disappear it just drops and then you know stage hands just pull it off to the side from from the ground it's mm-hmm. on the ground so the so the show already starts you know and uh somebody forgot to to plug in the the rod the motor to the rod that turns the rod that it's it's got uh, the actual curtain has like uh, what do you call little that? rings, rings, and then pins. The pins are on the rod, and the rings are on the, on the uh, curtain. So when when the rod faces down, you know faces the ground, that releases the curtain. Right, you know massive curtains. Yeah. You know? So somebody forgot to plug it in, and it was chaos. <laughs> chaos.
2: So you guys are playing with the curtain still up.
3: Well, this is what happened, you know. Ozzy is inside of the throne, mm-hmm. you know. This he's got like uh, it was basically vertical lines. We call that you know the ones that you release and it goes, yeah, and
2: yeah, yeah, and yeah. They
3: disappear, you know, the old fashioned. And so he he was, so, you know, he was like it's sitting there with like a series of them that were plugged in into like a very <laughs> rustic system <laughs> of like you push a button and these things are released, you know. Right, right? <laughs> but but as they were released, there was a flash of smoke. Mm-hmm. So it happened behind the smoke. Mm-hmm. So, boom, there you are. There's Ozzy, you know. And I, I, I saw this because the way that we did it was uh, Randy and I appear on stage through Port Colossus. You know, we have like our own Like intrigue. the gates. yeah, the gates. In yeah, the castle. The gates were lifted. So we're like standing there watching <laughs> this whole thing <laughs> unfold in front of us. Because we were literally on stage, but behind the castle gates, you know. And then the castle gates come up. There was all plastics. <laughs> Halloween, basically. <laughs> yeah, right. But it looked great. Yeah. The castle was not. The castle was really solid, you know. But all the doodads, you know, like the mm-hmm. gates Plastic, and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. They were, you know, supposed to be iron chains. And, <laughs> yeah. and they were not. But anyways. So I'm there. I'm like, you know. And everything is guided by musical cues. We had the Diary of a Madman uh, intro you know, with Randy playing the direct from the record, cueing certain things that were about to happen. You know, one of them is where the curtain comes down. The next one is Ozzy lets go of this yeah, cur- curtain blinds, you know, and appears and smoke. And all this happened except that the curtain never came down. <laughs> so this was going on, you know, as planned. And Ozzy sees the curtain and he grabs a... Uh, a black uh, plexiglass cross massive cross that was a prop and he grabs it and kind of like the exorcist you know like (laughs) he's trying to wheel the That's curtain right. down the power of the aussie compels you to <laughs> drop the curtain Yeah, he's running around the stage doing that <laughs> you know meanwhile there's panic it's <laughs> yeah. like freaking chaos I, I look at one point and sharon's like beating the crap out of the guy who designed you know the the whole thing and and then all of a sudden <laughs> because what happens is, is there's the, the music, the intro, and then there's quiet mm. because it ended. We were supposed to be playing by now, and you know what happens when there's silence? You start hearing boom, <laughs> 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 and the booms get louder and louder, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, we gotta send you know a rigger, you know, one of the guys right. that set things up from the ceiling to go up to across the curtain and pin by pin undo. <laughs> the curtain it's falling one, <laughs> ring, at <the> <laughs> one ring at a time ring at time.
2: yeah oh my goodness <laughs> yeah, that, that was
3: our first show cow palace december 30th 1981
2: isn't it great like when you watch the movie spinal tap as a musician even as a wrestler they nailed it only in a way that you have to be in the business to understand how close they nailed it
3: it was genius yeah it was ge- I, I went to watch the movie with my wife and we looked at each other at the end and we go What is this? Because we didn't know that it was comedy. Yeah. It was too close to home. Right. Yeah. It wasn't very funny, right? (laughs) It wasn't funny. It was like, (laughs) and?
0: (laughs) Do you want a beautiful lawn? You posted a great picture
2: the other day after uh, Fast Eddie Clark passed away. Yeah. of you and, uh, and Lemmy and, yeah. and Filthy, and you talked about how you guys yeah. went on tour with Motorhead, uh, Ozzy and Motorhead. There must have been some some crazy stories from that uh, time frame with Ozzy and yeah. Lemmy leading the charge.
3: Well, yes, they were, and and then they 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 stopped quickly because um, see Sharon needed to keep Ozzy away from any temptations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Because he could get into travel all by himself. <laughs> you know, he didn't right. need, he need a, you know, any assistance in doing that. And of course, you know, Motorhead, they have their own real, real metal yeah. lifestyle. And, you know, for me, I grew up playing in Miami, which was more of a loungey club, you know, type of environment. then I went to the Midwest and I got a glimpse of like, okay, this is more Midwestern rock metal, you know. Then I moved to L.A. and the Sunset Strip. So that, to me, became kind of like more of like the real deal. But no, that nothing prepared me for Motorhead. Because <laughs> it it, it, they are the architects, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. of, of true, true metal. Yeah. You know, all of them and Judas Priest and so on, right? So here I am, you know, some kid of the Sunset Strip, you know. I, you know I, I know nothing. I hadn't even been to England yet. Mm-hmm. And I meet the guys in the band. For about a week, I couldn't tell who was... The crew and who was the musicians? <laughs> but they all wore the same patches and you know Motorhead,
2: jean jacket and jean jeans. Jacket. Yeah. yeah,
3: yeah, and it was a summer tour, so Lemmy wore his shorts,
2: <laughs> Daisy Duke shorts. Daisy
3: Duke, but he pulled it off. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I, I couldn't even understand what they were talking. You know, they, because I wasn't used to the English accent, thick and, English accent, yeah, really too. thick. You yeah. know. Uh, and I just used to stare into Lemmy's eyes because they would be like blown out from not sleeping for about three days. <laughs> but he was the most red, well-read individual I've ever met. Mm. Uh, on the road, you know, he would get off the bus to, you know, to wash up. And he would have like this small bag with books, paperbacks sticking out. And a bottle of vodka with just enough orange juice to make it off. Yeah. That'd be completely white.
2: You know? yeah. I think that's how
3: he got his vitamins.
2: Right, <laughs> <laughs> you know? his vitamin C. <laughs> yeah,
3: probably like, I mean, I mean, took a dro- eyedropper and <laughs> of orange juice and just put it in there. Right, and then he's, he's like, eh, "Good morning," and blah blah blah. blah. Yeah, <laughs> you
2: know, it was like it off was, we go.
3: Yeah, it was kind of like hanging hanging out with pirates,
2: literally. Right, literally. Yeah, I mean,
3: because that was an English crew, our crew, English. Uh, the sound and lights crew, English, and then you got, and then you got a, 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 a Motorhead. You mm-hmm. it was like, wow, this is really like hanging out with pirates, and which is fine because I am from the Caribbean. <laughs>
2: <laughs> You're kind of one too, You're like a Spanish pirate. That's right. <laughs> yeah. You know, every time, like when you go on tour, guys always, uh, you know, I always hang out with my bass player and mm. the drummer and, and the guitar player. Always go along. Did you have that? With Randy, was that the guy you would get off and go look around with?
3: Yeah, because basically it it came down to this. Uh, Tommy Aldridge had been around since Black Oak, Arkansas, and Pat Travers and all that. He had his own tour going on.
2: (laughs) Hit his stops, (laughs) his ports
3: in the storm. And he had, you know, Mm. a a little black book, you know, know, 81. Miss Arkansas, yeah, Miss Little Rock, yeah. That's right, you know, and and he was like, you know, we were like checking into a hotel day off, and he was like saying... See you guys. See you at Sound Check tomorrow. And then some beautiful woman will come and pick him up. <laughs> that was it. So now you got Randy, Ozzy, Sharon, and me. And uh Sharon would spend most of the time in the room mm-hmm. making phone calls, you know, being
2: Managing, doing, yeah.
3: business. doing business. It was she was incredible, you know. And then you have Ozzy especially at the very beginning, hanging out at the bar with mm-hmm. the crew. Mm-hmm. The guys from the crew. And uh until Sharon decided that no, he was getting too much trouble, and then we're going to keep the crew and the band apart. You know, which right. meant that <laughs> that it was basically Ozzy and and Randy and me. Right, <laughs> that's <laughs> it. Sitting, uh,
2: sitting at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> so, did well, you yeah. did you did you and Randy ever go look around? Did you ever, did you ever oh, yeah. remember looking around yeah, yeah, to the sites that. and stuff? I,
3: yeah, it, w- it was it was Randy's first major U.S. tour because mm-hmm. he had already toured with. With Ozzy and the UK, and I believe some European shows too, and then you know he came back to the United States. So uh, really, outside of LA, Randy wasn't very familiar, you know, with the rest of Mm -hmm. of America. So every and so where did we go? We just went to malls. (laughs) (laughs) Hang out at the mall.
2: (laughs) Hang around the mall, right? Hang
3: around the mall, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, We saw more malls than uh, (laughs) you know.
2: What what do you uh, miss the most about Randy 35 years later? Can you remember the, no, that? Oh, everything, is, everything,
3: yeah. everything. He was so, I mean, when I think of Randy, I just don't think about what an incredible musician, composer he was. He was just an incredible friend, human being. Uh, very, very steady. Steady, not only as far as somebody that you could trust as a person and as, as a musician, but also he, he had a certain zen about him. That no matter how things were crazy around him he would he, would, he wouldn't be caught into that mm-hmm. you know it was always something that i could look at and say okay he's he's not freaking out so okay mm-hmm. I, I can
2: deal with this <laughs> yeah right 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 right, right. Yeah. yeah do you think um, and, it's, and it's always hard to predict this but i i've read before that ozzy said he probably would have stopped playing rock and roll and went to play classical music or something along those lines do you think you guys would have continued as this lineup of the band uh for a long time to come
3: you know just as a reference i can use uh zach Wild's relationship with ozzy and the band mm-hmm. you know i would think it would have been probably something like that where, where randy would have had his own career but also he would go in and in and out of the ozzy band mm-hmm. you know whenever whenever it would it would be you know good, yeah good for whenever he was sides. touring or yeah. whatever yeah
2: yeah how about for you were you happy playing in ozzy until oh, randy God, passed yeah. away yeah,
3: yeah. I, I, yes Yes, uh, mm. a thousand percent. Gotcha. They were incredible with me. Right,
2: know, right, right, right. Yeah. So, when you, when you, I want to talk to you about, about Quiet Riot and, and not the obvious, but the fact that, say, Quiet Riot, um, we've talked about the Us Festival before, and I watched it all the time. It's one of my favorite gigs. You guys just killed it on that day. Another great rock and roll band with, a, you know, uh, Carlos Cavazo having to replace Randy Rhodes, but still doing a great job in a different way. But Quiet Riot was so big and then burned out so fast. Mm-hmm. What would what, what, what do you think the reasons for that were, and how was that for you? Once again, you, you you know you know how hard it is for lightning to strike twice in this in this business. You go from Aussie, a huge band, right into another huge band, and then that one kind of flames up very quickly.
3: Yeah. Well, one of the things that I it, before it completely fizzled out, I left.
2: Oh, right, right, yeah. You left before I left. three, yeah. I think. Quite right, at three, right. Yeah. Uh,
3: oh yeah. Yeah. I, mind as a matter of fact, I gave notice. Uh, before we went on tour for the 1984
2: tour. The Mission mm.
3: Critical Tour. And I couldn't walk away from the tour because I once I make a commitment...
2: Yeah, I, I, and you were on that tour because yeah. I saw it. Yeah, I,
3: I have to follow through. You know, everything was ready to go and papers were signed, you know, certain dates with the promoters and stuff like that. So I, I, I survived that tour <laughs> emotionally until it was uh, fulfilled and then I moved on. Oh... Uh, what do I think about that is uh, well you know talking about Carlos I never saw Carlos as a replacement for Randy first of all because I couldn't really look at anybody replacing Randy. of course he, to me he was a replaceable yeah. whether it was in Ozzy or or in quiet riot you know what became known as the mental health version of quiet riot mm-hmm. uh, to me it was it was a brand new situation you know and i went from playing with ozzy to the complete unknown just based on the fact that i was looking for joy mm-hmm. When i wanted to bring joy back in my playing again mm-hmm. you know it was the most important thing sure you know? yeah, to me i what i do is at certain points in my life when i at crossroads i talk to my 18 year old me
2: mm-hmm. interesting
3: you know and and what do you, you know, say what do i say i listen a lot Hmm. You know.
2: To your 18-year-old you? Yeah. Who will tell you... you no, know, who created this. Right. But who will tell you, follow your heart or follow your instincts or play because you love it or... Everything. Hmm. And most important, fight for what
3: you believe in. Right. Not only fight, but first you've got to find that purpose that you must fight for hmm. the rest of your life. You know what I mean? We, we humans, and I, I, I believe also all the, all the creatures on this planet... You know, we were born, first we were sperm. Mm -hmm. We fought with every other millions of sperms (laughs) for that one. (laughs) Yeah. We are it. Yeah. Each one of us. You know, so having accomplished that, the universe, and I'm using universe because I I don't want to, you know, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to leave out anybody else <laughs> i'm a christian but i don't want to leave out anybody yeah. else in case anybody
2: yeah. listening from uh, grimlack or That's from right. mars yeah. including yeah. you as well yeah, exactly
3: yeah. and uh we're entrusted here with certain you know to fulfill a purpose and as we grow up there'll be little voices in our heads hmm. giving us ideas hey how about how about this purpose this and that people like to call it dreams you know Obviously, you had Mm -hmm. two major dreams. Not everybody does that. Right. Can you imagine the level of success you've been able to achieve with two purposes?
2: Mm -hmm. Because I listen to those little voices. Yes, you do. A lot of people don't. Yes, yes. Ah, I understand.
3: Yeah. And that's how, that to me, without listening to those voices and finding that purpose, and you're going to fight for it. Mm-hmm. Because there's, there's, there's other people getting those little voices, too, that might conflict with your, well, you know, I want to accomplish this or I want to accomplish that, too. So you're competing. It might be a friendly competition because at some point you were going to meet. Mm-hmm. You might be best friends or best rivals. And they're, they're all the same. right? They both bring the best out of
2: you. Interesting.
3: You know? Yeah, yeah very much so, yeah. yeah. So at certain points in my life, I go back to that. And I replenish myself with the purpose, realign my purpose and the fight, the energy, the strength, the mm. faith. The faith. To me, it comes down to faith. Sure. The faith is what's gonna give you the uh, the energy, the power to fight.
2: But you know when it's time, like you said, with, with after Randy passing, you weren't enjoying with Ozzy. Then mm-hmm. you go to Quiet Right. You said you left before or right before the condition because you weren't enjoying it. Is that. Is that is it more important to you? And obviously, it is to enjoy what you're doing rather than having the steady gig and the paycheck.
3: Yeah, the yeah. enjoyment is the reward you get for a, for a, a fight well fought.
2: Mm Hmm. Interesting. Yeah.
3: I don't think you'd be having the success you have all these years without that enjoyment.
2: Right. You know, what's interesting is that uh, you remind me right now with something that Brent Fitz said, a mutual friend of ours. Mm-hmm. He said, Rudy's very zen. Mm-hmm. And you just said that about Randy. You've now become what you said Randy was to this new generation of musicians and players.
3: It, it It's a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Because as you have to realign yourself and sometimes you find yourself in a, in a place that you have to get out of mm-hmm. and, and get you back on path again and find that zen. You know, zen is, can be very elusive. Sure. You know.
2: Just to go quickly about Kevin Duro do you think he's underrated as a as a frontman? Oh absolutely I think he's one of the best rock and roll front bands from, the, from that generation
3: absolutely uh I think that Frankie finally has found somebody who yeah. can actually do justice to the memory of Kevin's mm-hmm. and, and Quiet riot yeah of course yeah.
2: James durbin right?
3: Yeah, James durbin
2: absolutely. Yeah, I found that watching, watching once again, once watching that uh, US festival. I mean, mm-hmm. Kevin, man, he's a great singer, great front man. He really, uh, mm-hmm. he really had it down. Yes, absolutely, you know?
3: great, great rock rock frontman. Especially, you know, of the guys that came out of uh, of the sunsets.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, his thing was he just liked to talk a lot. He would always be very boastful and talk a lot of shit in a lot of ways. <laughs> I think that might have yeah. gotten in trouble maybe right
3: yeah but i think you know now we have social media mm-hmm. today with social media people who have a deeper access and better understanding of what kevin was coming from rather than being left to uh the press to grab certain quotes right. from, from from a interview or mm. conversation or whatever because it's always the the, 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 <laughs> the clickbait nowadays. That's it. right. That's what's going to get your attention. That's, <laughs> gonna, that's what's going to get printed.
2: Did you guys yeah. ever talk to him about that or did he ever mention it? Like, like, dude, calm down a bit. Don't say this stuff. Or did he ever say they took those words and they put them out of, no, out no, of context? No, because we knew. Yeah.
3: We knew. We knew what was going on. And we knew that he wanted uh, the uh, the press wanted to interview him just because of all of the uh, things that he was going to be saying.
2: hmm you know? mm-hmm. So a relationship with you and Tommy Aldridge, which I think is very interesting. Also, people don't really think about it much. You guys played together with in the glory years of Ozzy, probably the best lineup he's had. Then there's the the famous Project Driver album, which I did have, which was yeah. also you and Tommy as well. So you're the one who bought that record. <laughs> <laughs> I was, it was wondering who the hell bought it. It was I even remember Rob Rock, Tony McAlpine, yeah. Aldridge, and Sarzo. And that's yeah. why I bought it because of Aldridge and Sarzo. Mm-hmm. And then you guys end up in White Snake together as well. Did yes. you, how like how was that connection with you guys always being together? Was it a coincidence, or did one guy get the gig and bring in the other guy?
3: And then there was another band, Manic Eden.
0: Oh which wow. Was
3: Ron Young from Little Caesar uh-huh. and uh, not the pizzeria, but the band
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: and Adrian Vandenberg. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. I, it just felt so natural for me to play with Tommy. I mean, once I, I locked in with Tommy, uh, it it was it was natural. I mean, you know, we try to put a band together between. The Aussie years and my mm-hmm. choir, Ryan, you know, he left Ozzy, I left Choir Ryan. And we spent like a couple of years, which is when we got to record the uh, the, the Mars project. Mm-hmm. You know, that one that you're talking about with Tony McAlpine and Rob Rock. And then we joined White
2: Snake. Did you join together? Yes, we did. As a team.
3: Yeah, as a rhythm,
2: rhythm section. On yeah. whose recommendation?
3: Well, uh, David already knew, knew Tommy. And Whitesnake was the opening band for Quiet Riot in
2: 1984. That's right. It was Kick Axe, Whitesnake, yeah. and Quiet Riot in yeah. Winnipeg that I saw, yeah, right? Yeah,
3: And uh, so, as a matter of fact, the last day of the tour, we are having like a little celebration, you know, farewell, you know, to, to Whitesnake from the tour, and uh, David uh, hugs me and whispers in my ear, someday we're going to play together,
4: don't mm. you know,
3: <laughs> and, uh, and I'm going... How does he know that I'm leaving the band? Because I was leaving the band, but I didn't tell anybody. Because, right. You know what? What? What's the point? You know. And then uh, when it became official that I was, uh, I had left Quiet Riot, I get a uh, call from the uh, from management, uh, White Snake Management, and we were asked Tommy and I, Tommy Aldridge and I, we were asked to uh, to actually join the band. And personally, I I didn't because there were still s- certain conflicts going on within the that configuration. Mm-hmm. That actually, went, that was touring. You know, the,
2: the Quiet the, Riot configuration? No, no. The white snake.
3: Uh, the White Snake configuration. And um I uh, didn't want to, you know, leave one bad situation for another,
2: mm. didn't
3: make any sense. You're talking about like
2: the conf- the conflict between Coverdale and John Sykes? If That's- you want to go
3: there, yeah. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Yeah. You didn't want to leave
2: one I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I mean nothing to do with the music. Yeah. You know, in- but- to me they're an incredible partnership.
2: But once again, Rudy, you just said this earlier. It's not, listen, there's a lot of great musicians and you get that chemistry, but it's how you react with each other on a 12 hour bus ride or on the plane or whatever it may be. Those are the, that's where you decide who your band guys are Yeah. because you don't need any assholes in that, in that situation because it'll go sour very quickly.
3: Absolutely. And and speaking of assholes, you know, if you look around the bus, (laughs) you can't find the asshole it's you. <laughs> <laughs> Words
2: of wisdom. <laughs> so when you finally did join White Snake, because that, that was kind of a, a, an all-star band at that point in time when you came in to to the White Snake situation. Yeah,
3: I, I, you know, two years later after we basically passed on and they went on to record uh, the 87 record with uh, Ainsley Dombard on drums and uh, John Sykes and Neil Murray. Mm-hmm. And... It took about two years to do that then when it came time to actually start making the videos we get the phone call from John Coladner. Mm. you know and by then you know we had spent, Tommy and I we had spent a couple of years trying to find basically a singer <laughs> because, I mean, you know you can find just about a- everybody but you know a voice you can't go to a guitar center and say hey you know can you give me one of those voices like Paul Rogers and stick it in your throat no you can't right. do that right you know and uh, so yeah, we, we, we found great guitar players and great everything else, but that special singer, that special arena quality singer, we couldn't find one, you know. So when it came time to, uh, to you know, to get the offer from, from Whitesnake to join the band, it was like, you know, a no brainer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got one of the greatest voices in right. the band. Right. So it's like, yeah.
2: Uh, was it because, was you know, a lot of the band is chemistry, as we mm. discussed. How was the camp? Well, obviously you and Tommy have it, but now you go and you got Vivian Campbell and you got Adrian Vandenberg and it's like kind of like I said, this the Phenomenal. Right on.
3: Phenomenal. Yeah. We I had from that the first tour, the festival first couple of legs of the tour, we not only had the band in one bus, but we had the wives and girlfriends in one bus. And mm. I gotta tell you, it was the most fun I've ever had. Wow. It didn't last too long.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: but well it did. It was wonderful.
2: <laughs> <laughs> now did you have the blonde hair before you joined? Because you had some blonde ass yes. hair, yeah. It
3: was blonde. I I was bored. I was laying by the pool at <laughs> putting sun in and
2: what you see on still the night, that's sun in. Then Remember the sun in how eighties is was that right? Yeah. Yeah. Well it's, it's, <laughs> the, one, the one we used to use was lemon juice. If you put lemon yeah. juice in your hair yeah. That'll get it nice and blonde. Yeah,
3: well, I can see. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh you can tell the change in sound quality because uh Rudy and I have been in show business for a long time and sometimes uh, as the saying goes, shit happens. And uh we had uh, a great interview a few months ago and then we went to 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 chop it up to air it. We found out that we lost about 20 minutes of it, Rudy. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I figured let's just get back on the horn and we can pick up where we left off and continue on this uh, great conversation that we had. Uh, and like you said, make it even better than the last one.
1: That's right. Let's do it.
2: <laughs> yeah. So where we were at is we were talking about you being a white snake and we were laughing about how uh, your Cuban brown hair had gone completely blonde from the sun in. That you had been using back in those days. But I wanted to ask you what it was like in Whitesnake when uh, Steve Vai came in the band. Uh, Kind of a different player than what you had been used to with, with, you know, uh, with Vivian Campbell and with uh, uh, Adrian Vandenberg.
1: Yeah, yeah, but you know what? Uh, Steve reminded me more of Randy Rhodes and the fact that he was, you know, he was very diverse and not necessarily blues rooted. Right, He's playing. So, uh, of course, you know, having played with Randy Rhodes before in uh, in Quiet Ryan and Ozzy, I uh, was kind of you know I was kind of used to playing with a with you know somebody that played at that uh, specific level.
2: Was there a, there was a rumor at the time that like um, that Coverdale had kind of paid. Steve Vi like this huge amount of money like a free agent on a football team or something on those lines to join White Snake did you hear anything about that is that true do you know
1: you know that is an interesting question I was never involved in what the other members of the band mm-hmm. uh, what you know what they made right because you know we were uh, we had incentives it was not like a flat fee like a salary thing Oh, okay, you know? interesting yeah and, uh, you know, I never saw it as my business, and I still don't. You know, with the people that I play with, I never really go into their finances or anything like that because
2: it's none of my business. Oh, sure, <laughs> yeah. I, that was always the big rumor, though, that David Coverdale pays Steve Vai, like, you know, a million dollars to come join Whitesnake. Only a million? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> He's got short change. <laughs> Wait, so when what, what kind of, you mentioned incentives, what kind of incentives would you, would you have? Um, you know percentages, things like that. Okay, for like better, if the, if there's better, like if the arena does more people or something along those lines.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, like I said, it was not a flat fee. Yeah, and, gotcha. And actually, we uh, we were we were given that deal even before the band recouped because when we joined the band, uh, all of us, you know, Adrian and mm-hmm. Tommy and and Vivian and myself, uh, the band was in in a bit of a uh, you know debt. Gotcha. You know, for recordings and anything else that came along with that. So once it was recouped, we actually that's when that certain uh, agreement kicked in.
2: Those bonuses kick in, right? 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 Yeah. Th- that's interesting because, like we talked about earlier, um, you've you've always had a gig. You've played with so many people in so many different circumstances, and it's interesting to me after playing with with Ozzy and Quiet Riot and then White Snake, and then you went on to play with with with. Two kind of different sides of the spectrum as far as what people uh, perceive them to be. One being Ronnie James Dio, and the other one, which kind of blew me away at the time, was Inve Malmsteen. And what kind of, which one was first? Was it Dio that you played with first, or Malmsteen?
1: No, actually, Malmsteen. Uh, as a matter of fact, I got a call to go in the studio to work on the Master of the Moon, the Dio record, mm-hmm. while I was still touring with Inve. And I had to decline because, I, I, you know, I couldn't walk away from the Invey tour. Right. You know, so I, I told Wendy that if they still wanted me to, you know, interested in me joining the band, uh, once i finished the tour with invey I would be available. And that's what happened.
2: How did you get the gig with invey? That's an interesting kind of mix, being the bass player that you are, very rock solid with some cool little you know, lots of cool little uh, fills and stuff. But Ingve is much more of the fast-fingered, neoclassical type stuff. I'm full of surprises, just like <laughs> you. <laughs> is, is that a style of, of of music that you had played, or did you just say, "Okay, yeah, I can do yeah, this"? Yeah, that was a, you know that was a style of music that
1: I grew up playing. I I, I grew up playing fusion and uh, and progressive rock, you know, back in the '70s when it was when it was fashionable, you know. And then something happened uh, at the end of the '70s. Uh, that type of music was frowned upon, and it became more glam rock. And a little bit more, you know, sensible to the ears. I guess. Right, right, right. But I still listen to that. I mean, if you, if you know, when I go to the gym, all I listen to is, is Prague rock. You know, Prague and fusion.
2: Right, you know? right. So was it was it uh, kind of a cool, not a challenge, but I mean, playing with Ingvem. I mean, there's a lot of work to be done to get those get those parts played. Uh, for me personally, it was a total musical enema. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know, getting to play as many notes as as you can. <laughs> right. You know, the license to play as many notes as you can without anybody saying backstage, "Hey, what are you doing, man?" <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's right, right. Because usually, you know, the bass player has to hold down the hold down the fort in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, but these are songs that are written for a specific purpose, and that is to showcase uh, musicianship. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, there's there's a few bands that actually based their whole career. music like that. Uh, Rush being one of them. Sure. You know, come to mind. And um, even, you know, the bands that, let's say, Billy Sheehan's involved with. You know, he's not really known for a guy who's just holding down the bottom, you know. So, you know, the music gets written around the to showcase the the musicianship.
2: Mm -hmm. Did you enjoy playing with Yngwie?
1: Oh, very much so. Oh, I I, I really did. Really, really did. He's great. And uh Got to you know, got to meet meet his family. You know, April, mm-hmm. he manages the band, and uh, and Antonio, you know, his son. He was just a, a little kid. I, I I saw him a few years ago, and he said he's a grown man now. But <laughs> I remember you know, in the morning, kind of like babysitting with him in the bus and watching cartoons and feeding him some cereal and stuff like that. <laughs> so it was great. It was really pretty much a family atmosphere.
2: I mean, you've had uh, the, the, the pleasure of playing with so many great guitar players, from Randy to Carlos Cavazo, and you're talking about Adrian Vandenberg and Vivian, Steve I, and Malmsteen. Who was who the 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 best out of all of them? I think I'm pretty sure what you're going to say. I
1: think it. Uh, okay, who do you think?
2: <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's, it's interesting to me because the two game changers is Randy Rhodes, and then a few years later, Malmsteen, kind of being a combination of Randy Rhodes and Richie Blackmore. So. I would think you're probably going to say Randy.
1: Well, Randy, you know, Randy is in a league all by himself mm-hmm. because you know he, he accomplished so much in such a short time, and and of course he his his potential was cut off by him passing. You know? Right. So I mean, I and, and I I could see a glimpse of where that was going. Right. Absolutely, because um, people as a reference they have the records Blizzard and Diary but he passed away about a year to a year and a half after those records and then what what happened is in between he was growing so fast as a musician it was right. just incredible and a composer you know so i could definitely see that he went into a, into a more oh progressive direction mm. with his music you know i mean if you listen to the track Diary of the Mad Men and compare that to, let's say, uh, Steal Away the Night. You know, there's just musically, as far as the composition goes, there's so much more complexity
2: Mm -hmm. to it, you know. Let me ask you a question that, that just popped in my head. You mentioned that Randy w- was composing and stuff. Did he ever at all play anything for you before he, he passed away, like when you are on tour or in Soundcheck or something, like some kind of a riff that he'd been working on? Was there anything everything, anything like that? You know, that's
1: interesting. Uh, we used to share the, uh, the same, you know, tuning room,
4: mm-hmm.
1: you know. And um, so when he was warming up, he would warm up to classical music. Right. With a classical guitar. So he was just basically tuning in his classical chops, mm-hmm. you know. So that was, his, that was his, his, his goal at the time, just to get better not only at reading, because, you know, from playing rock and roll for a long time, he wasn't uh, uh, up to speed with his reading as much as he wanted to. And, and being on tour gave him the opportunity to do that. You know, to, because he was preparing to go into the session uh, scene and, you know, recording session, oh. guitar recording session scene in New York. Okay. Uh, he was looking forward to getting into that as soon as that tour ended.
2: Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so to answer the question from earlier, is he, is he the, your favorite that you played with, the best that you played with?
1: I thought, I thought I was going to get out of that one. Are <laughs> <laughs> they're all good. <laughs> uh, no, actually, no. Because, and again, taking Randy out of the equation and everything, the guy that really had the most musical depth, and this is, and I'm saying this because this happens to be a musician that came from classical piano and fell in love with the guitar. And as he tells me, because we used to be, we we played together, he fell in love with George Lynch's guitar sound. Hmm. That would be Tony McAlpine. Oh, wow. Yes, he was, I mean, again, taking Randy Rhodes out of the equation, but by bringing in Tony McAlpine, and and you're talking about somebody who uh, dedicated his life to learning Chopin, Hmm. all the etudes this massive musical vocabulary. And what he did is he transferred his musical knowledge from the piano, classical piano, to the guitar.
2: And that was, uh, was it Project Driver? Was that the Project name of the record?
1: Driver, yes. And, and you know, Tony spent a lot of time living with me in my house. In, uh, and when we were... Yeah, you know, putting together a driver, you know, private mm-hmm. driver, just the same as Tommy did. Tommy lived with us, too. So, I mean, I got to spend a lot of time with him. And, and you could tell you, – you could ask Tony, listen, play me this song, and he would just instantly play it. Hmm. Exactly. It's, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's – he's, I think, you know, I mean, again, taking Randy out of the equation, sure. I would think he would be the closest guy to a genius that I've ever, you know, played with. Interesting,
2: yeah, interesting, and it's like you mentioned too, playing with 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 Tommy Aldridge as well. You guys played in a lot of bands together, had some great chemistry there as well.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I played with Tommy for for a long, long time, and you know what? And I wish that I could have get the chance to play with him now mm-hmm. because I'm a better bass player now than I was. Back
2: then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I'd love to one day have Ozzy call you and do Tommy Aldridge, Rudy Sarzo, Ozzy, and Zach Wild. Oh, uh, you know what?
1: I, everybody that's in that band in the Ozzy band deserves to be there. they yeah. uh, you know, especially Blasco. Mm. You know, he's a he's a he's a friend of mine, and I like like I told him in the past. He's the keeper of the key <laughs> to everything Ozzy, and very very fantastic job he's he's done with that.
2: Let's talk about you. You had the you mentioned you played with Dio, kind of one of the guys that gets to, that got to play with both Ozzy and Ronnie James Dio. What are the differences between the two of them as as frontmen? Because uh, they're both great frontmen, but kind of in different ways. Well, you know, they
1: both created different Sabbath eras. You know, mm-hmm. you have the, the the Ozzy era, and then you have the Dio era, and they're both very different. And I got to tell you. Ronnie had so much respect for Ozzy. Do you know that song, King of Rock and Roll? Yeah. He wrote it for Ozzy. Really? Oh, yeah. I was very surprised to hear that from from Ronnie himself. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. So he definitely had a lot of respect for him, you know. Hmm. And and I think, you know, with time, it became mutual respect, too. I mean, they, they both understood that they... You know, they brought something into a band that was so close to the heart. Uh, that's the other thing. I asked Ronnie, of all the bands you've ever been in, what's the one you're the most proud of? Straight out, he said Black Sabbath. Really? Yeah. Without a doubt. And, he was, and this is before Heaven and Hell got back together again. Mm-hmm. So I really understood why he jumped on when they called him. To do it, you know, to do heaven and hell, because I knew that two things: he had unfinished business with them, you know, yeah, and also that was his, his proudest moment
2: hmm. to play with him, because you were with you were with Dio in in his soul band up until his his passing, correct?
1: Yes, I was. I was with Ronnie from two thousand and four until the day he passed away.
2: Because he was doing Heaven and Hell stuff, but he still was keeping, keeping the Dio band going as well, right?
1: Absolutely. We would, we would go on, on the road and uh, on, during breaks, during Heaven and Hell breaks, we would go on the road, and um, especially in Scandinavia,
4: hmm.
1: you know, every year, because he wanted to do that for the Dio fans. He wanted to, them to know that he hadn't forgotten about them and that he was proud of them and all of that. So we were, oh, every single year, we will go out of deals. As a matter of fact, I was doing, uh, a few weeks ago, some a Comic-Con convention at the last play that uh, place that Hamilton helped actually perform, and I was there to witness it. Hmm. It was at the uh, Showboat Hotel in um, Atlantic City. The House of Blues is... It's, it was, is there. Actually, it's still there, mm-hmm. but it's not operating. And that was the last show that Heaven and Hell did. The last time Ronnie played was at our deal rehearsal, November 16th, uh, 2009. And that day he was diagnosed with, you know, that there's something wrong. I mean, the you know, the doctors in L.A. weren't they weren't they weren't completely certain that it was cancer so they told him listen you must go immediately you know to 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 take care of this and they recommended Houston you know all the uh, cancer clinics out there and um 6 6 months to the date he passed away in
2: May wow so, so you yeah. were there for his like last rehearsal
1: yes yes we were, we were getting ready to I, again go out on tour for, the, uh, for the, uh, what became known as the, the Christmas deal Tour mm. uh, in Scandinavia, England, and, and so on, Europe, you know.
2: Right, 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 right. Now, you had told me uh, before, we never talked about it, but did you show Ronnie how to use Pro Tools and, and that sort of a thing? Yeah, they were, they were using it uh, at the
1: time, but uh, actually we, we switched over to Pro Tools from a different program that, that he was using and uh, uh, implementing MIDI, into it, um because at the time they were doing drums uh in real time, you know which were became a little bit of a problem, trying to edit and and you know and and sync everything properly right and so it just took like maybe you know a couple of days to get Ronnie up to speed and and from that point on he was on his own. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I would show up at his house and go down to the uh, to his studio, and he would say, "Check this out, kid," and play me like a completed song. You know, because you know he's a, he's a, he's, a, he's a bass player, he's a musician. You know, right. he Grew up playing trumpet. He reads music. You know, he, he was he was the most complete vocalist slash musician that, that I work with. You know, because yeah. he he was, you know, he played everything. Yeah, he, could, he could play keyboards, he played guitar, he played, of course, the bass. And But Simon would program the drums for him.
3: Gotcha, okay.
1: You know, and then, uh, you know, he would play me all these new songs, you know, and it was like amazing. And some of them wound up on the Heaven and Hell record. And they, w- they were actually meant to be on the Electra, Elektra albums.
2: Oh, gotcha. Yeah, so he was a good student then.
1: Oh yeah, no, he wasn't really a student. I mean, you know, I was just showing him, you know, pointers. This is this is how he's done it in this software because he already had knowledge of uh, of you know recording on, on on a computer. It was just a matter of tra- transferring that to the new, mm-hmm. you know, to, yeah. to, to the new system. You know, using Pro Tools.
2: When you were on stage playing with Dio, when you were like in the in your mix, did you have a lot of Dio vocals in the mix, or do you?
1: Yeah, oh, he was so loud; it was incredible. And I, and, and if you look at any of the photos, I'm really standing pretty close to him, you know. And and his and his monitors were cranking. Yeah, hmm. I, mean, I mean, yes. Look, if you're playing with Ronnie on stage, that's the thing you want to hear the most.
2: <laughs> Is that was that cool for you to keep?
1: <laughs> so that's, that's the main reason why you're there. You
2: know? <laughs> Does that help you lock in better though when you hear his vocal rather than going in with the drums or whatever?
1: Oh, believe me, uh, Simon Wright is, is very loud too, and uh, I, you know it, it was it was a beautiful mix. But you definitely want to hear Ronnie. I mean, because you know you you know there's just just the way that Ronnie sings mm-hmm. that kind of like conducts the mood of what you're going to be playing and how you're going to be playing it. Right. right you know, right. it's almost like you know his lyrics are so cinematic that the music becomes the soundtrack to, to a movie. Right. And it's, you know, he's conducting it with his emotion.
2: You know, it's interesting because you were talking with Simon, I've been listening to the dash, your podcast, uh, over the last, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, are you enjoying doing that? I'm loving it. And, and you are one
1: of my inspirations for doing it. (laughs) Why is that? Oh, uh, because I, you know, I, I've done a few podcasts with you, you know, yeah. radio shows, and I've always enjoyed the experience so much. You know that that you know every time I I, I would leave the studio, I would go, "Wow, I wish I could do more of these." Yeah, you know, so I could get that feeling, you know.
2: And so you decided to do one of your own, which has been a lot of fun. It uh, a lot of fun. There's a yeah. great story. I really enjoyed uh, the one that you did with Frankie Benali for obvious reasons. You guys are longtime friends and in and, and Quiet Ride together. There's a story that, that you told that I'd like you to tell involving uh, Ringo Starr, you and, and Frankie Benali. Yes. Which one do you want to know? <laughs> well, you, 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 you lived in his house. Oh well,
1: yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah, but then we we actually we got to meet him. I mean, he didn't know that we were there. We were just keeping his uh his his uh, personal secretary company. And we were homeless anyway, so it was a perfect combination. Well, hold on a second. How
2: did you end up at Ringo Starr's personal secretary's What happened?
1: Well, if you hang out at the rainbow enough times, you're going to do stuff like that. Especially back then. I don't know what it's like anymore, but back in the 70s. I mean, Ringo used to hang out at the rainbow. Everybody did. Right, right. That was like the social network. Mm -hmm. You live in L.A., you know?
2: Yeah. so, so, So tell us the story. So you met him or you met his secretary?
1: Oh, no, no. I never met him at the rainbow. I met his secretary while Ringo was out of town. Uh, filming a movie i believe it was caveman okay yeah and uh so the place you know it was the secretary and wingo's girlfriend at the time before he met barbara Bach. where actually he met her in the, making this movie okay you know, right
2: yeah caveman you know? yeah 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 Yeah. so so you were just hanging out there and and, and then you left or why did you ever actually meet him
1: well, actually, uh, the I, I think he was renting the house because the lease was up, and then what he did is he actually bought uh, Mama Cass's house, mm-hmm. a, a Woodrow Wilson Drive. This is in the mid '70s. You know, uh, Ringo spent most of his time in Monaco, even at, around that time, for tax purposes.
2: Okay. So he bought the house, and then, so you just kind of, you, you, you lived in that house? No,
1: no, no, no. We, we, we lived in the Sunset Plaza Drive house, which is the house that, that he was leasing. And then uh, then he moved to Woodrow Wilson Drive, which is that, you know, the old Mama Cass house. Yeah. And he, he bought that house. But we actually, we helped him move. <laughs> <laughs> so, Frankie and you know, I, we were movers for Ringo for one day.
2: <laughs> is that when you got to meet him?
1: Yes, yes. We hung out. You know, we hung out. He was very, very nice, super nice. I mean, you know, just just a regular guy. But he just happened to be Ringo. You know?
2: <laughs> yeah, right, right. Hanging out with a couple uh, rocker skids from the Rainbow.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and uh, at the at the end of the day, he gave us uh, twenty bucks. And we looked at the bill, and we, we said, we're never going to spend this. This is going to be our lucky, you know, $20. And by that night, we spent it on a pizza.
2: <laughs> you had no money left at that point anyways, right? You know, it didn't matter. You know. <laughs> well, Rudy, as we wind down here, uh, you, we mentioned you're playing with the guests who you guys just released your new record. It's a cool title. The future isn't what it used to be. Yeah, the feature ain't what it used to ain't be. Ain't what it used to be. Yeah. And, and you guys are gigging all the time. It's On Instagram, you guys are always playing around. It seems like you're quite busy.
1: Yeah, we are very busy. And, um, you, you know, we, of course, you know, we love playing the classics. Mm-hmm. It's not like we have to play them. No, it's like, you know, I'm in the guest room so I can play all those great songs. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. I mean, what's the point of being in the band if you're not going to get to play all those, you know, <laughs> the, the songs that I grew up with? But also, you know, there's some really great songs on the new record. So we sprinkle them with mm-hmm. the set. Sometimes we do at least three, sometimes four songs, you know, from the, from the new record. And the audience, uh, you know, they, they love them because there was a lot of effort made into keeping the spirit of what the, Guess Who is known for within the new music.
2: Mm-hmm. Interesting. And what, what would you say Guess Who was known for?
1: You know, it was a combination of Canadian and Americana. Because, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the guys are from Canada anyway, so, you know, it's naturally for them to be able to capture that, that musical style. But also, it's, it's very Americana also. You know, I would say almost like modern country. <laughs>
2: Well, you're a, you're a, you're an honorary Winnipegger now too, because that's where the guest is yes, from. Yes, My. and
1: you being the mayor
2: of Winnipeg, <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Last couple of questions for you. I, I was uh, wanted to know if this is true as well. I would heard that, that Ozzy, when you guys were touring, used to be obsessed with the song uh, by Phil Collins, "In the Air Tonight."
1: Yeah, w- whatever was you know the, you know, you being a, a musician, you know this. There's usually a, a preferred song that the, the front of house guy likes to use to, to tweak the PA system yeah. from venue to venue. Right. Back in the day, they used to have this white noise mm-hmm. thing that they would put through the speakers just to make sure the whole system is working properly, and they would measure it with some kind of an instrument, you know, right. and they would look at it at a graph. So, something in the air tonight was that song that the uh, the front of house guy used every single day before we did, you know, right before we did sound check.
2: Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> so, one of Ozzy's favorites?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it became favorite because, you know,. <laughs> It, it, that, that song, every time I hear it now, it takes me back to doing soundcheck with Ozzy and Randy and Tommy, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, that, that, and I told you that shirt that I got the other day, which says uh, Osborne and Rhodes and Sarzo and Aldridge.
1: It's just a great— yes, I'm getting that shirt for Christmas for, for all my friends. <laughs> <laughs> you got one already. Oh, as a matter of fact, uh, I'm sending you a special shirt. Oh, great. Thank you.
2: A Rudy yeah. Sarzo shirt, I hope.
1: Uh, yes, it is. <laughs>
2: last uh, last question for you, Rudy. With all and all the bands you've played in, the, it's hard to, to to say them all. But I'm going to choose Ozzy, Dio, and um, and Quiet Riot. What were your favorite three songs to play? Like, what was your favorite song to play from Ozzy, from Quiet Riot, and from Dio?
1: Okay, very si- uh, very simple. I go by what I what I still remember. Yeah, I can play it at any moment. If I'll be, like, in the dead sleep, somebody wakes me up and say, okay, let's play Crazy Train, I Don't Know, and Mr. Crowley. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm on. <laughs>
2: you can do those three. Yes,
1: I do. Uh, uh, Quiet Ride will definitely be Bang Your Head, Come On, Feel the Noise, and Believe It or Not, Thunderbird, because mm. that's, that's the song that I used to play with, with in Dubrow with Kevin, and that's how. I was asked to, to record on the Choir Riot record. I was only supposed to do one song. Right. That was uh, Thunderbird. And I, 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 you know, on that first session, I actually wound up playing like, like on half the record right there. And then I came back and I finished mm-hmm. the rest of the song. So we say Thunderbird, uh, bang your head, and, um, come on, and, and, and... Come on, feel the noise. And come on, feel the noise. With Dio, ooh, there's so many. I love the way, the way that we did... Heaven and Hell with Ronnie. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 rainbow in the Dark God. and Mob Rules. But those are not necessarily deal songs, but we played a lot of Sabbath. Yeah,
2: yeah, sure. The oh, dealers. of it.
1: Babylon, if you're going to go for any rainbow song.
2: <laughs> Dude, you've played all the great songs. What about Guess Who? What's your favorite song for Guess Who to play?
1: Oh, okay. Uh, I, I love the whole set, but I got to tell you, Undone. Mm. It's such a unique song. You don't even get to play kind of like busting over jazz <laughs> that's true yeah <laughs> on stage too often you know and this, this I love the song uh, American Woman and uh, No Sugar Tonight do
2: you guys ever play uh, Running Back to Saskatoon no we haven't yet but, but we definitely been talking about that one it's funny a Cuban guy from uh, Miami playing playing a song about Saskatoon
1: <laughs> Oh, listen! I I, 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 if I would, if I would have, you know, kept going from Miami to New Jersey, my next stop was going to be,
2: you know, somewhere in Canada. Yeah, up in Detroit, Toronto. Anyways, Rudy, man, it's great to talk to you. Thank you for doing this, and I'm glad we're able to to finish you, up brother, properly, man. Thank
1: you, Chris. We'll talk to you soon. Man. I'll be thank waiting you, for man. my Rudy I'm Sarzo
2: right uh, uh, shirt in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers, brother. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. God bless. Thank you. All right. Thanks to the legendary Rudy Sarzo for sitting with me in studio and then jumping back on the phone after we realized we lost half of the, uh, of that interview. Uh, it happens sometimes after 500 episodes, once in a while you hit, uh, you hit some technical difficulties, but Rudy's a great, great guy and was happy to do it. Please check out Rudy's podcast, the dash, listen and subscribe at Apple podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Rudy talks to some cool musicians from all over the world. He just had Canadian rocker Sass, Jordan on. And remember, speaking of Canada, Rudy's playing in the Guess Who. Their tour starts this Sunday, November 11th, Veterans Day in Miami, Florida. Go to theguesswho.com to get tickets. Rudy Sarzo on bass, uh, one of the biggest pros and the best players you'll ever hear. Uh, Speaking of pros and great players, we are still on the road here in Australia we are at Sydney uh, at the Manning uh, Saturday on November 10th. November 13th, Adelaide at the Gov. Number 14th in Brisbane at the Triffid. And then the Judas Rising Tour goes back to North America, uh, hitting Canada. Moncton, November 21st. 23rd in Halifax. 24th in Quebec City. 25th in Montreal at MTLS. And then Arm Pryor is sold out on the 26th. 27th London at the London Music Hall. 28th of November, Toronto at the Rock Pile. Uh, November 30th Thunder Bay at Crocs December 1st Winnipeg Hometown Show at the Burton Cummings Theatre the second is Regina at The Exchange the third is Edmonton at the Starlight Room and then Calgary Alberta at the Gateway the final show of the Judas Rising Tour lots of big stuff coming up for Fozzy though it's been a great run we thank you so much for coming go to FozzyRock.com for all tickets for the remaining Australia shows all the Canadian shows and all the Fozzy VIP packages are sold out uh, for Sydney, but there's still uh, packages available for every other show. We hang out with you, we take some pictures with you, and we play a private mini-concert just for the VIPs. So go to FozzyRock.com for all that information on how to make it happen. All right, have a great weekend. Coming up Wednesday, former WWE announcer and current New Japan Pro Wrestling announcer Kevin Kelly will be here. Remember, The Rock used to call him Hermie. Yeah, telling a bunch of great stories about all the good times in the WWE and the rise of New Japan and Pro Wrestling. Everything happening uh, in the meantime, in between time. Have a great week. Stay hard. Stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs. And a big
4: give,